I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji and Nice. And this is a pod Benji and I have been waiting for for a very long time and making sure we prepared properly for it. Our 2020 Seasons Awards podcast. And, you know, this is starting small now. But eventually, maybe even now, in fact, this is going to become the most important award in the whole of pro cycling. At least that's what I think our opinion on who was the best in certain categories. And just to introduce how this is going to work, we have seven categories. All-round best rider, sprinter, climber, puncher. Puncher meaning... Races like Flesh Wallon, Liège, Punchy Climbs, etc. Flandrian, which is also like a cobbler, best cobbled classics rider. Domestique, which is self-evident, and best under-23 rider. And best team, actually. We added that category in the end. So we've got all those categories, men and women. We're going to do all of those. We're going to do our top three in each discipline or category. And just to be clear how this works, this is who we think or... This is how I look at it. Who was the best rider in this discipline in 2020? Which I think is not necessarily meaning who got the best results, but who was the best rider in that discipline in 2020. It also doesn't mean who we think is going to be the best at this discipline going forward into the future. Because obviously things like injuries, team strength, bad luck, Race decisions that can be improved, youth improvement can all affect things like that. Are you G'd up for this, Benji? I'm I'm keen to actually get into some some argy bargy and, and an argument with you about some of these. Ooh, that's gonna be interesting. I feel like I'm pretty hyped about it to be honest. It's been a a few days since we recorded our last podcast, and it's nice being back in the cycling vibe. And we've got some interesting names lined up. I think that we're gonna be on the same level of things quite consistently i feel like we've got a similar opinion on how cycling goes and who's the best rider in certain areas but i know in advance that you're gonna have some hot takes for us today so i'm extremely curious to hear it i think i've got a solid list as well so let's hope the people agree with us if you don't agree with us that's very important leave it below who's your best rider in certain discipline i'm extremely curious what your opinion is as well and i feel like that could also bring up some interesting discussions in the comment section on YouTube or perhaps on Instagram or in Twitter. Uh, on the podcast platforms, it's likely impossible to post a comment, but you know what I mean. Wherever you can contact us, show us your list, and we'll definitely interact on it. First discipline, all-round best rider for 2020. We're starting off with a bang. Contenders for this, probably Pogaccia, won the Tour de France, obviously. Wout uh, Primoz Roglic who are the other contenders Benji they're the main ones that I thought of Alaphilippe I guess uh, Avonapol Carapaz maybe Tergegenhart but he only sort of he won the, the Giro in a stage so, but they're the main ones I think on people's list are Pagacha, Wapanar and and Roglic and 
my pick in this order. First, Primoz Roglic. Second, Wal Van Aert. A Jumbo Visma 1-2. And third, Tade Pagacha. And just a reminder of the Palmares. Primoz Roglic. First GC Tour de Lain, one or two stages, one Slovenian champs road race, won a stage in Dauphiné, was probably going to win GC, then had to stop because he crashed. Tour de France, second, and he won a stage. Won Liège, sixth in the world champs road race, won the Vuelta and won four stages, I think. Insane season, historical season. If it wasn't for the Tour de France coming second, it would have been maybe one of like the best all-time seasons um and but even to do a grand tour monument double like that is very very rare so Primoz Roglic is my first rider ahead of his teammate uh Wout van Aert. I think maybe if Liège had gone a bit differently with the Alaphilippe deviation maybe it would have bumped Pagatra up a little bit who knows but what's your list Benji I've got a very similar list but I do have a change in that so I decided to like you put the third spot for Tadej Pogacar due to his Tour de France performance and also just playing a role afterwards because you can be good and win a Tour de France, but if you only do the Tour de France, it's kind of only the Tour de France, even though the Tour de France is obviously a great race. But he also played a role in the World Championships, that early attack, and then liege Basson liege he almost won it. And we will never know if he would have won it, same for the other riders in that group, if that deviation was not there by Alaphilippe. But all in all, he is definitely a rider that deserves to be on this top three. He is also extremely young, and perhaps it's quite easy to forget that he's got so many years to come. Obviously, that doesn't play into this award, but I feel like that's a pretty important factor for the future. This man is only just starting his legacy, and I feel like we're going to see so much more of this man, and also in different disciplines, because he's saying that he might want to ride the cobble races quite soon. He wanted to ride RVV this year, decided to put it off as planning and end the season a bit earlier after quite a dominant uh, victory there in stage 20, taking that Tour de France home. And I feel like the third spot in an award is always the hardest one because I feel like I've got a lot of people that are like fighting first place versus second place for all these awards. And that shows that the first and second place in this award Wout van Aert and Roglic for me were extremely difficult to put in first and second. I feel like if I had to be honest, I'd put them both on the first place, have no second place, and Pogacar third. But for the sakes of this award, I'm going to actually go the other way. I'm going to put Wout van Aert in first and Roglic in second. I'm going to explain why. So you said it. Roglic, unbeatable post-COVID in the preparation races to the land so forth, dominates the Tour de France in a rather defensive fashion, which ends up partially causing his defeat in the race. Coming back from a ruthless defeat in that Tour de France, he wins LBL, plays an important factor in the, in the World Championships as well, and then wins Love Welt at the crown of masterful season. So that is quite an incredible performance. But Wout van Aert has that similar comeback vibe to me. He also came back from something quite ruthless, that almost career-ending injury last year. And he lashes out only one year after that injury, topping every other rider in the field for a complete month in racing. Strade, MSR, silver at both World Championships, Road Race, and ITT. This is just being one of the best all-round riders in the peloton right now. And I feel like Wout van Aert has that tiny bit extra because he also was a supportive rider for other people, for Roglic himself in the Tour de France, while he most likely would have gotten a free green jersey if he didn't. So... 
I feel like the fact that he was such an important domestique helps him in this award for me as well. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. I just don't think I just don't think his Palmares are there just because he didn't get the Ronda. I think if he wins the Ronda, then it maybe changes things. And if he def- if he wins one of the ITT of the World Champs and the Ronda, then definitely does it for me. He's also hampered, as you mentioned, by being a domestique. You know, if he wins the Tour de France green jersey and like four or five stages, and then maybe the Ronda, then again, that's a crazy season. But I just the the Roglic. Like the weight of his Palmares were just too much. Um, so that's why I had to go with him in first. And the way he just, Jumbo Visma, for better or worse, just choked every stage race they were in. They just controlled every stage race and everyone was scared of Roglic. And every time they got to the finale, it would just be the Roglic show most of the time. On to the women. This was a lot easier for first, I thought. It, it's clearly Anna van der Breggen. She won uh, Flesh. Again, she won Giro Rosa. Maybe she, well, not maybe. She definitely benefited in a sense from not having as strong competition as Giro Rosa with Annemiek van der Vleuten crashing. Not van der Breggen's fault. But again, van der Breggen, I think just, I can't believe. It's, it's really shocking to me that she's going to be retiring um, in like in a year after Tokyo. She's still only 30 years old. And yeah. I forgot to mention, by the way, the world champs first in both the road race and the ITT. And, yeah, fourth in Strade, she won the Settimana Ciclista Valenciana before lockdown. Everyone's forgotten all the Palmares of people before lockdown. But, yeah, clear first for me. Van Vleuten, second. She won, like, six races in a row before lockdown, and it was still looking very strong in Euro Rosa, and I think she probably would have taken it out, to be honest. But that crash really derailed it for derailed the latter half of her season. And then last, I actually have Elisa Longoborghini. Now, the contenders for third were uh, Lizzie Dignan, maybe Ludwig, maybe Veebs, but I think mainly Lizzie Dignan, her, her teammate on Trek Segafredo. But I think Longoborghini just did it for me with both results before lockdown, then just consistency, fifth in Strade, fifth in Flesh, um, eighth in Ronda, seventh in Dridax, and then... Yeah, second in uh, the Ferret Is It Challenge by La Vuelta. Not many wins. That's the only knock on her. But I think, yeah, you know, Dylan has wins in La Course it's, and uh, GP Plouet. But I think, yeah, just a much more consistent season from Longa Borghini. Who do you have in your three, Benji? So I'd like to add that I also was planning to put Longa Borghini on third, but decided to change it last minute. I um, believe that the victory that puts her on the podium for me, well, not the victory, but the performance that puts her on the podium for me is the World Championships Road Race. And because I feel like she should have been relegated there, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that she loses that podium in my award show because I don't feel that she deserved that place. Maybe hard to say, but that's kind of my opinion on it. And I think as a consequence, I put someone else up there. I've got Lotte Kopecky, and I've got that because if you look at her 2020 season, she's got an amazing season, and she started off with a podium at Le Samain, then won the ITT Belgian Road Race. No, not the Road Race, ITT in uh, the National Championships. And afterwards, in the Giro Rosa, she ended up taking a stage, two other podiums. She ended up winning the Belgian Road Race. Fourth in Brabant's Appel, second in Gendwebelgem, third in the Tour of Flanders, 
Fadenbrüche Bonne. So it's like the consistency of good results as well. The same way that you said for Longoborghini, that the consistency of performing well throughout the season is what put Lodokopecki on the third spot for me. But I've got a very similar top two, and it's actually exactly the same. On Mieke van Vleuten with a wonderful first start of the season. I think if she didn't have that injury, she most likely would have dominated this award as well. It's harsh to say, but... I don't actually think so. I just think it would have been closer. Yeah, I think... I even, I don't think her punch is that, even without the injury, I'm not sure her punch is up to, you know, maybe winning Liège or Flesch ahead of Van der Breggen. So it might have been closer. Maybe she wins the Giro Rosa. And then, you know, I still think Van der Breggen would have won that World Champs road race. But um, we'll never know, I guess, how much the arm affected her. Um, we'll never know. On to the next one. I mean, I assume, Benji, you're going to be putting a Belgian in every single category at this point. Is, is that how it's going to work, even in the sprinters category? Is Philipson making his way into your list? Uh, I'm afraid not, actually. He's not making it <laughs> on my list. And um, I'll go ahead and I'll take the first lead on this sprinting thing. I um, have a top three of sprinters. And quite simply, I've got, and you're not going to like this, I've got Caleb Ewan on third. If we have Get to, the fuck out of here. <laughs> if we have to give awards on who has the best sprinting abilities over the last few years, Caleb Ewan would be first. For me, this award is, like you say, a combination of, well, mainly being the best rider in a discipline this season, but you're not the best rider in a discipline this season if the results don't continuously back it up. And I feel this year, Ewan does not have the results to continuously back up that this season he was the best rider as well. Uh, UAE Tour, we've got a victory by Ewan as well. And Milano Torino, he was second. This is, I think, the only time next to the Tour of Valony where Arnaud de Mar and Caleb Ewan were against each other in the same race. In this race, Arnaud de Mar beat Ewan. In the Tour de Valony, de Mar dominated. Only one time Ewan actually took the first spot. And that is why DeMar is, for me, a tiny bit higher this year as best sprinter in the season. And that's why I put Arno DeMar in second place. Now, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know. Um, who's going to be first then? It's not Philipson. I can tell you that. Yeah, I've put Sam Bennett in first. Despite DeMar dominating oh. the Giro, I have oh. some connection with the green jersey being an important factor for also... The sprinting ability, if that green jersey winner wanted by winning sprints as well. And I feel like Bennett went to the Tour de France and to the Vuelta. And at the Tour de France, he was the first pure sprinter. I'm not going to say that he can't do intermediate sprints. He definitely can because he did. But he's one of the first pure sprinters that had the ability of battling it out with Sagan on a discipline that, well, is so Sagan-driven in the last few years. And it is indeed because Sagan was worse at the Tour de France, but it does give that special thing for me that decides me to put that Sam Bennett on the first spot. And not only does he do that in one Grand Tour, he starts battling it out in La Vuelta as well and proves once again that he is indeed on that level. Now, you could argue that... It is the De Kerning sprint train effect. And I agree. It is. I agree. Look but, at Viviani. Yes. <laughs> but I still believe that judging 
someone to be the best sprinter also depends on the team that is around him. Because last year, Viviani was with one of the better sprinters of the of the year. And that is indeed because he was at the Koenig. But it plays an important factor. It plays a role in being the best sprinter on which team you are. If you put Ewan on the Koenig, then he's most likely going to be the best sprinter. Because Merku is a goddamn god at lead outing. If you have a team and you can work well, collaborate with that team to bring yourself the victories, that is something special as well. He has the ability of sticking in that goddamn wheel of Merku, who does some crazy shit in sprints. And as a consequence, I've got Bennett in first, Demar in second, and Caleb Ewan in third. I've got it in reverse order. I got Ewan first as the best sprinter in 2020, <laughs> Demar second, Sam Bennett third. The, the quick step effect on paper, you can see it. And then when you watch these races, particularly in the Vuelta, where the the, the overwhelming dominance of the quick step lead out train compared to everybody else, and still Jasper Philipson is getting a jump on Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett won one stage at the Vuelta. Again, not a great parkour for sprinters, but you know, Philipson looked much handier compared to him. Shelda Preish. Sprinters World Champs, as you said at Benji, you and absolutely dusted them off. And I don't, I don't think DeMar was there, though. Uh, Tour de France, again, quick step, just gift-wrapping stages or keeping Bennett in good position. Wallany, it seemed like he got one, Ewan got one, and I think DeMar got a couple. DeMar, as well, has, if not the best, the second-best lead-out trainer in the world with Guarnieri, Scotson, etc. at FDJ. And, and his Giro stage wins... We, you know, the, the competition wasn't as strong and the other sprinters, strong sprinters, weren't there. His main competition was Sagan, who had no lead out. And DeMar was, I mean, talk about gift wrapping some of those stages. He's still got to finish it off. It's not ever easy to win a Grand Tour stage. But if there were some that a, a top-level sprinter was going to take, it was those, <laughs> those Giro stages. So, yeah, I just... I feel like the quick step effect is so big. And when I watch the end of these stages and how much Merku is helping Bennett, and then when maybe his, his lead out isn't there and it's more head to head with the other sprinters, what happens? And the fact that I don't really rate the lotto lead out for you, and I just, that really plays into how I, um, I evaluate their performances in, in 2020. Maybe I'm biased, probably am. Female sprinters. Uh, the, it's clearly, for me, the clear number one sprinter in the world is Lorena Reeves. Uh, every time it's a flat stage and she lines up, if there was a betting market, I would bet infinite money on her. Three ducks, Grugadapan, easy, Krot Preishurma, won that. Won Spar on Luvan Head Hagland, won the first stage at Ferrisizit Challenge by La Vuelta. Now, I say that, but there was one stage where she kind of messed it up, and that was uh, stage three to Madrid. She got overconfident in the last stage of the season. And this rider is an honourable mention, at least a Balsama, 22 years old, I think for Valkar. She'll feature later in my U23 list. But yeah, she was, she beat Lorena Veebs. But I think, I think Veebs is a better sprinter than Kopecky and, uh, and Julianne Dore, who are my second and third respectively. Kopecky, model of consistency, was in, I think, your third, Benji as you already read out her Palmares. And Julian Dore, I can't remember, who was the rider that did that crazy deviation? And they did get relegated, and we went crazy on Twitter. Who was that? Oh, uh, Julian Dora. 
Was it your only daughter? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I know she got relegated to the back of that group, and so that's not showing on her Palmares, but she's up there uh, as well. She won Hen Babelheim. She came second in Belgium National Champs Road Race. So that's my list. Vabes, Kopecky, Door, one, two, three. What was yours, Benji? I've got one change in it, and you kind of announced it already. Firstly, I've put not Yolindora on third. I feel like Yolindora has had a good sprinting season, but it's also a bit lacking compared to previous seasons. I don't believe that she was on a similar level as previous seasons, and the fact that she... I don't know. I feel like... And bulls are stacked. Bulls are st- like Amy Peters, Chantal van der Merck. Yes. I think I've put Balsamo on third spot because she beat Wibbers and because she's in that last part of the season actual competition for Wibbers. And that is perhaps due to that mistake that Wibbers made in that sprint. But I do believe that Balsamo was on a level to try and beat the likes of a, a Yolindora then at that point or perhaps a Kopecky if she was on, on that same uh, battle as well. But if you look at the second spot, then I've got Lotta Kopecky, same story as I said, as all-round riders. I feel like she's had a very consistent season throughout, and it's mainly performances that include the sprinting ability and also some others. But if you look at the female national championships road race of Belgium, it was such an a weird race, I'd say, in the sense that there were basically two riders fighting each other, and then there was a peloton that was with those two riders, and then not with those two riders, and the peloton came back, and then those two riders went away again, and then those two riders sprinted for it. That was one of the, like, most dominant two-rider performances compared to the rest of the peloton I've seen in a long while, and Kopecky outsprinted Dora there, and I feel like I'm already thought that Kopecky is better than Dora right now as well. Uh, I think she got beaten in Gendwevelgem by Olindora, but you don't take a victory by... Uh, you don't take a, a best sprinter trophy or anything by beating your competition once. You need to do it consistently. And I think that Kopecky was more consistent throughout the season. Now, as you said, Lorina Wibes was basically the best sprinter throughout the whole season. Tridjaks de Pana. We had Euromat, Omloop van het Kageland, also Seratizi Challenge, that, uh, that first stage, perhaps the last stage of Balsamo. Well, if she handled Balsamo better, she would have gotten that as well, but she didn't, clearly. So um, that's why I've got Weebus in first, and uh, Kopecky in second, and I've got Balsamo in third. So, yeah, that's it for the sprinters, I guess. What I find interesting all around is that for the male aspect of the Best Sprinter Award, we are giving out a top three. And there's one rider that we are going to feature and have featured in one of these awards already that won basically two of the three sprints he did at the Tour de France. And we don't mention him for best sprinter. Is that because he doesn't get the chances to sprint enough, Wout van Aert? Do I think Wout van Aert, if I had to pick a sprinter, if I was quick step? And it was just his sprinting ability. I had to pick one for stages or rate a variety of races in 2021. Would I take Wild Van Aert over Sam Bennett? Yes, I would. But, like, do you count Milano San Remo as, like, a sprint victory? I guess you do. He sort of. He beat Alaphilippe in a head-to-head sprint. 
but I think we're talking about bunch sprinting. Are we talking about sort of uphill punchy sprints? It's it's I guess how you categorize it. Obviously, an uphill sprint, Wapanar is going to destroy Sam Bennett and and the rest. Maybe not Demar so much, but yeah, it's it's tricky. It's more of a definitional issue, and I think yeah, maybe he gets if Wapanar was only good at sprinting and he was on a team that just used him as a sprinter, he'd probably be on this list because he'd have won more sprints. But unfortunately, in my view, that's not the way he's used. Moving on to another category, the best overall climber in 2020. I've defined this as climbs. To be a climb, it has to be over seven minutes, about seven, six, six to seven minutes. So the end of Puy Marie counts for me in the Tour de France. Obviously, Perisud, 20, 25 minutes counts. The one hour to Col de la Lose, very few climbs this year. Do ever you know? Very few climbs are ever full gas for an hour in world tour level. At world tour level, the big races, but Col de la Lose, one hour. Obviously, Miguel Angel Lopez won that stage, but that's how I've defined it. So, like punchy finishes, three to five minutes. I'm not really counted as in the best climber as a main factor in my assessment there. Third, Primoz Roglic. Second, Richard Carapaz. First, Tadej Pogacar. If you break the Col de Perisud record, if you destroy it, then, I mean, there's going to something. <laughs> you drop your competition, you drop Roglic, you drop Carapaz, you drop Bernal, then I have to give you the best climber of the year award. Obviously, he got distanced a little bit by Roglic on Col de la Lowe's. Um, so that counts against him a little bit, and Lopez, obviously, but he lost all the time in the tour in in the crosswinds mostly, and then Planche de Belfi and the other climbs was where he made it up. I think Rogachev has got a better punchy finish than Pagacha, um, but yeah, Pagacha is a pure climber; is just absolutely class, generational talent. Carapaz, I have over Roglic, just because, yeah, again, I think you saw in the tour he was undercooked because he was preparing for the Giro. But I still think he's a top, top climber, Carapaz, particularly in the longer climbs, maybe not the Puy Marie ones. Anglerou, he dropped Roglic. And, yeah, in the tour, he was destroying everyone in the climbs as well, even though it was in the break. But what, I'm keen to hit, see your list, Benji, or see if you've defined it differently to me. I've got a similar list. I have one switch up in that list. I got Carapaz in third, Roglic in second, and Pogacar in first. For me, the ability of being an absolute climber, is very similar to how you rate it, but I do value that extra punch by Roglic at the end that the others don't have because Roglic can be riding at the same effort as the others throughout the entire climb, but always has that tiny bit extra to try and finish off a race. Bogacar has that kind of as well. Carapaz has that less than the other two. I think Roglic is just the better of the three at that. I've got Carapaz in third. I feel like we saw him in a built-up in the Tour de France. Perhaps we could say that Ineos blew it a bit this season when it comes to the planning of Carapaz, knowing that he was planned to go to the Giro, if I recall correctly. Secondly, he didn't get what he deserved. He's kind of the unsung hero of the Tour de France, I'd say, because he was at the Tour de France and didn't perform too well in the first two weeks, let's say. In the final week, he became... Well, actually, no, no. Who was chasing... Who was the only domestique chasing Pogacar and Perisud? Wasn't Sepp Kuss. 
it was Richard Carapaz. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But that was all. That was like only the the only time I think we saw him in the first two weeks of the tour before he started going in the breakaways. I swear he, he I, dropped pretty early. Yeah, yeah. I know. I take I take your point. He was he was on and off, but he was. I think he was like do, he was doing something. He wasn't just a complete wash. Yeah, you're right. And in the final week of that Tour de France, he changed role once Bernal was taken out of context and he entered into a breakaway role to try and get something out of it. He tried to go for KOM and tried to go for stages. He felt really close to some stages. The one where Kemna won, for example. Kemna rode away on the on the last section just on top of the climb instead of on the climb itself to uh, Carapaz's surprise and Carapaz just didn't have it that day, but he got some K1 points. He got some K1 points on other stages. He uh, was amazing on Col de la Loz as well and was caught on the final Col de la Loz section by the GC group. And looking at this overall performance in the Tour de France, you could say that he came from a role where he was supposed to work for somebody but didn't deliver to the abilities that you would expect from a Carapaz because he was planned to go to another race. And obviously, in the third week, he totally shifted that around to try and make something for Ineos happen by his climbing ability. The stage with Kwiatkowski and him will stay in my mind forever. Like, generally, that was one of the uh, most notable stages of the Tour de France for me, next to, obviously, stage 20 as well. They just rode away from Bilbao. Bilbao, who was, like, top three in Giro for two and a half weeks, they just rode away from him on a climb, not even attacking him. Yeah, and I feel like he didn't get anything out of the Tour de France because he was supposed <laughs> yeah, to get KOM and Pogacar stole that on the time trial. And next to that, he didn't get the super competitivity because if I recall correctly, that went to Hirschi. He also deserved it, to be honest. So all in all, he didn't get anything out of that tour and I just felt bad for him afterwards. And he also had that same thing as Roglic, but also in a less fashionable thing. The fact that Roglic lost the Tour de France and came back. Carapaz lost his goals at the Tour de France and came back from it as well to do a really strong Vuelta. He was above expectations for me. I didn't expect him at that level, to be honest. And I'm extremely glad that we saw that, that we saw competition for Roglic on that race. And the other competitors in that race weren't there for me compared to a Carapaz who was consistently more entertaining to watch as well. He is just not a very boring climber, and I like that. So he's third. Second, I've got Roglic, and the reason I put Pogacar above Roglic is because I feel like when it's coming to pure climbing ability as a solo rider, I think Pogacar is better. But I think if we count the team of Jumbo, then it starts becoming pretty close. But I think that Pogacar really kind of broke the train of Jumbo in some fashion. He wasn't able to fully do it on the on the mountain stages, but throughout the whole Grand Tour, he was able to beat a train. And that gives me the reason to put him higher. And obviously his climbing time trial just showed that he was better that day at climbing as well compared to Roglic. But that isn't to say that Roglic is not a good climber because as I said... Roglic had a really good season and has that extra ability to finish it off in the last kilometer. And that is very valuable to me. So it's very close for me, but I've got Pogacar higher because I feel like 
if it's up to real climbing versus climbing strength at the moment between the two riders, then it's for me a clear victory for Pogacar. It's so hard to do a women's best climbing award with the parameters I've mentioned because unfortunately there's literally no races apart from maybe one Giro stage a year where they have a proper climb to get to get their teeth stuck into. They did in the course, I think 2018, they did a proper climb. But So I'm having to do a bit of guesswork and fill in who I think would be the best and because we didn't, we didn't really have those this year, I think. Um, the Giro Rosa didn't even have proper, like a long, like a all, all category yeah, climb. I think but stage eight it's Anna McVan. Yeah, Anna McVan Vloyden, clearly for me is the best climber. Um, when you look at her whole her season as a whole, particularly those early races she won, then Van der Breggen, then Cecily Utrup Ludwig. I, I think Ludwig really gets punished, especially when you look at her frame, how small she is. She gets punished by the lack of traditional. Um, sort of parkour. If they just supplanted the men's parkour for a lot of the races in with the big climbs, I think Ludwig would do really, really well. And and maybe that's what I'd love to see. You know, which we don't even know which women would be the best. I assume it's Van Vleuten, but hey, maybe she'd get punished for being so lean on like a six, seven hour day, like a Stelvio day like we had in the Giro, a properly long 200k mountain stage. I mean, they barely exist in the men's cycling anymore. Would Ludwig do better because she's, you know, looked pure climber build. She's really well on the course when they did have that parkour. Would Lizzie Dagenen go well? Like, would it be, would she really suffer then? Is she more like an Almeida, Alaphilippe style rider? But th- anyway, that's all speculation and me with my wishful thinking, I, I still have to give it to Van Vleuten on a pure was peculiar basis. She's just the best uh, pure climber in the world. And Van der Breggen, punchy climbs. Maybe I'm putting too much punch or emphasis for her here, but still, she won the Giro Rosa GC. She's second, Ludwig third. Hmm. I've got a different third spot. I agree that Van Vleuten is the better climber because it is the only female rider that I've seen start with a whole peloton in her wheel, start mashing her pedals at the bottom of a climb, and at the top she was gone alone. So, <laughs> like, Van der Breggen <laughs> has probably done that as well, but Van Vleuten just feels more impressive on, like, a pure climbing basis for me. Like you say, Van der Breggen seems more tinted towards the, uh, n- well, the, the punchier stages, but that doesn't mean she does it on a real punchy basis. Like... She's really good at having that sustained high wattage that other people can't really sustain on a punchy climb. And that is why she is able to beat people at the likes of La Flèche Wallonne and so forth. But I did not have Utrecht Ludwig in third, despite really, really liking the rider. I feel like Longo Borghini is up there for me because, as you say, I went through the entire season of female cycling right now. And the only top climbing stage that i found was the eighth stage of that tirreno which is not really that big of a climb it's still count as a hill stage but longo Borghini was able to beat the others there in a pretty dominant fashion except for the rider who ended up second which was van der Breggen. so i feel like this climb is just that that edge on which van der Breggen is not the best compared to longo Borghini. that 
this kind of finish is where another rider can overtake Van der Breggen, and that is the race where Longoborghini did so, and that's why I've put Longoborghini also on the uh, on the third spot here. Van der Breggen in second, and Van Vleuten in first. Van Vleuten with, we said it already, a magnificent start to the season, and perhaps she would have had a very dominant season if she didn't have that issue. Like you say, I shouldn't be really saying that Van der Breggen would not have won stuff if Van Vleuten was still around. We don't know that, so I'm not going to take that stance. You were right about that. We'll know in Tokyo. Tokyo 2021 is going to be fucking cracked because the parkour is so good. The women will have good climbs. We'll know in Tokyo 2021, um, and we'll probably look back at this list. You know, maybe it's, an, it's a younger rider. I don't know, Lippert, more puncher style rider maybe than a pure climber. But yeah, Ludwig, there's a, there's a little hot tip for you. Ludwig for uh, the, the gold medal next year, I think, is okay. a big chance. But puncher, puncher, and maybe remind people what a puncher is uh, before we get into the men's list. Regarding puncher, I've always had a bit of a battle with the, the definition of what a puncher is. According to Wikipedia... The punching term is a road bicycle rider who specializes in rolling terrain with short and steep climbs. I always mistook that definition. I always regarded a puncher being someone that has very accelerated attacks to punch away from people on the likes of smaller hills. And... That is where a lot of people have different opinions on what a puncher actually is. And I think I've had a lot of discussions about this and the other people are most likely right that my definition is completely wrong and the one on Wikipedia is completely right. So we're going to be judging it according to that. A puncher is a road bicycle racer who specializes in rolling terrain with short but steep climbs. So races like the Ardennes, for example. And if I have to take a look at my puncher lists, then... It was a very interesting season because we have a new we have a new competitor in town and I honestly had a hard time kind of figuring out how who to put Fad on the list but I'm going to say that I've got Primoz Roglic and Fad you have to you have to include you have to include stage race victories on a punchy finish not just flesh right you're on board with that as well yeah so it's Parkour, the ones like the, the wood stage that he won, etc., or the one the Wellens won. That counts too, not just flesh and Liège. Yeah, and as a consequence, that is why Roglic is in third for me. Why is he not in first? Because I still believe that when it comes to punching, acceleration plays a big role. And despite him certainly having acceleration, we saw that throughout the season, there's two riders where I think that is more. And that is the likes of a Mark Hershey, who I've put on the second position, and he was not really at the top yet last season. He was strolling forward, he was strolling forward, and he showed talent, and he showed that he could be good in the next couple of seasons. I think he was good in Bing Back Tour or Belgium Tour, one of the two. I recall him doing some uh, some pretty good riding, and this season he just had his breakthrough. He started off with, quite simply, being dominant in the Tour de France breakaways. He won one stage, Almost had three stage victories, thinking about it. The one where he ended up crashing in the breakaway, he could have played a serious role. He also had that stage in Porto Lareux, where the GC riders attacked on the final hill and bridged over two of them, and they had 
caught him just five kilometers from the line or something. And he had to sprint for it and came in second, I think, behind Bogachar. Additionally, he also had that stage he won, but also the stage at the start where he was following the attack of Alaphilippe. And that is a stage where we got to meet what he or she is becoming. And he is becoming a rider that can climb. We saw that in the Dauphiné. And as an extra, he is such a good puncher. And he proved that in Flesh Wallon, where he basically dominated the competition. Alaphilippe was not there, though. So that is the only mm, on that uh, result for me. He was third in the World Championships, second in LBL. And there's one rider that was better for me throughout the season at Puncher, and that is Alaphilippe. Won the World Championships that way. When when they were all there, when when all the pun, when they were all there, all the contenders for puncher of the year were at the worlds. That is indeed why I've put Alaphilippe up front. I feel like he's got that extra ability to have such a high acceleration when the others are cracking already a tiny bit, and that puts him above everybody. And I feel like we've seen in a race like the Tour of Flanders, a race that does not shout, "Oh, you're a puncher," but it does help that he's able to compete there as well, makes that so much more special for me. And Alaphilippe, despite having a disappointing Tour de France compared to last year, but then again, how in the hell are you going to beat the Tour de France of last year by Alaphilippe? He's got a really good season. i got the same list as you. i got the exact same list as you, Roglic, he or she, then Alaphilippe first. What happens to our lists if Alaphilippe doesn't deviate, accepts the loss, and he or she beats him, and he or she ends up with the flesh liege double plus the Tour de France stage wins on the Palmares, and where did he come in the road race? Third in the world champs? Then it's a really hard toss-up between he or she and, and Alaphilippe. Now, I think he or she's got a better sprint than Alaphilippe, going into a reduced bunch after the punchy climbs. But I think on the on a punchy climb, no one can hold his wheel in world cycling. We, we can even go back to Milano San Remo. No, no one could. Alaphilippe, uh, Kwiatkowski, they all got dropped in Milano San Remo. Wafana had to let the wheel go and he had to catch uh, Alaphilippe back on the descent and then only you know beat him in the sprint just. So, yeah, Alaphilippe, I think, clearly best puncher in the world. And here she, he's coming. You know, he's only 22 years old, which is crazy. Notable mentions, I think Mike Woods also, like in the Welter, he confirmed that. Tim Wellens in, in stage races and Tadej Pogacar as well. Kwiatkowski, I think, took a step back this year for me in the puncher category. He just doesn't look quite... What, what about Juan Van Aert, Benji? I mean, he didn't even do... Did he do Liège? He did not do Liège. and. I don't know. He didn't do Brabantje Pale either. Correct. I think that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I actually, I actually probably think Wal Van Aert is for twenty twenty one. I think you know, in the future, Wal Van Aert and Van der Poel are actually better punchers than than Roglic. But it's you, we got to do it based on twenty twenty Palmares and and what actually happened in twenty twenty. Yeah, I find it really difficult to judge Van Aert versus the others because. He hasn't really done the Ardennes, really, and the stages that he does compete well in. He is good. The World Championships is perhaps the only race where we can really 
put put him against punchers. And that Ra- course is harder than the Ardennes. So it's not like we can say, oh, well, he Liège will be too hard. Well, Imola, that's, that climbs harder than Liège climbs. Um, flesh, maybe it's different because it's like easy for three hours in a wall. But Liège, I see no reason why he can't do well. Lombardia yeah, too, you that's know. That's true. I think he can do fine as well. We forget Lombardia. Full saying, everyone forgets that. That will be the forgotten monument. Full saying, <laughs> we didn't even mention him for puncher. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I feel like Full yeah, was think better last year. He was. He was high level last year. But yeah, Wavanaert and Van der Poel, because they're so good as cobblers and everything and TTs and sprinting, you forget that they're elite punchers as well by definition. Uh, but moving on to the to female punchers, it's got to be, it has to be Anna Vandergregen first. Like, there's no other option. She won Worlds Road Race on that hilly course. Uh, she won Flesh in a pretty, pretty dominant fashion. Like, you literally won't see someone win Flesh in more dominant fashion. Uh, and I know winning this award isn't just about winning Flesh, but I mean, come on. <laughs> the way she won Flesh was ridiculous, riding everyone off her wheel. The only person that was able to challenge her was one rider I'm putting in here, maybe a bit controversial, is Demi Vollering second. I think on a better team, in a better structure maybe, with more support, I think Demi Vollering could be a serious puncher. Um, she's really talented, still really young. And, yeah, that flesh result, she's the only one where she actually tried to come round Van der Breggen on the Murta Hoy. Third, I have Ludwig once again. She won Giro de Emilia, did pretty well in flesh. Uh, from memory, I think she came second in flesh because Vollering fell away a little bit after attacking under Van der Breggen. But yeah, I think I think Ludwig again she like doesn't struggle with the punching. She struggles maybe with everything around the punching. So if Van der Breggen and Van Vleuten get a gap on her and they're having to, she's having to bring back that gap on the flat maybe after a climb. Then that's a, that's a lot harder for Ludwig. Whereas I think she's fine generally on the climbs. She's nearly at those girls or those women's level, uh, Van Vleuten and, and Van der Breggen. Um, but am I am I being crazy not keeping Van Vleuten on this list as a puncher, Benji? Who's your who's in your three? She's not on my list either, to be honest. And I I wouldn't have put her in the top four even. Like it's harsh, but I've got a few other names. I I don't have the same top three. And I feel like we're all clear Van der Breggen is the first. I have Utrecht Ludwig in second as well. You say Emilia. I also remember that third stage, I think, in the Giro Rosa, the finish to Assisi. And that was such a steep short climb. The parkour itself was not very hilly throughout the race. But that finish was such a puncher finish. And... Marlon Vos ended up winning that two seconds ahead of Utrecht Ludwig. All the rest was on five seconds, eight seconds, 12 seconds, 16 seconds. So it was a clear, like, just an upward acceleration stage. Like, for me, that is punching as well. And that gives an extra thing to Utrecht Ludwig for me over the rests. And when it comes to the third spot, you're going to like this. But I believe that this is the opposite of what Ludwig did for me. For example, Ludwig, that extra Assisi stage where there's a whole parkour where everything is decided on the final hill, that is leaning towards Ludwig for me in this extra results. But also we've got a rider that throughout the Ardennes races 
decided to try and take it on early. She decided to try and attack earlier on, and that led to a beautiful second spot in liege Bastogne liege and a victory in the Brabant's Appeal, and for me, that's Grace Brown. And I don't believe she has been on this level as this year before. And I think we're going to see perhaps something more in the future from her. She's 28, so it's not like she just started and she just arrived at the top of cycling, but I still believe that um, she deserves to be in that top three, knowing that despite not doing it the more traditional punching way, she still got a really strong ride in both those races. I think Mariana Voss took a little bit of a step back this year with the punching. Um, not quite as dominant. That being said, she still won three stages of Giro Rosa. So um, a lot of those were uphill finishes. So I think maybe in hindsight, I've made a mistake putting Vollering in there instead of Voss, but I've written it down, so I have to stick with it. Um but yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting list. And I think 2021, there's going to be a big shake up there. You know, Voss 33, Van Vleuten 38, Van der Breggen retiring. You know, we've got these young riders coming in, Brown taking over. I, I have Brown in, in the next category because um, I maybe I've blurred the definition of Flandrian and, and Puncher. Moving on to Flandrian, though, which is, you know, cobbled rider, cobbled classics rider, Paris Roubaix. Um, I still Bing Bang Tour. I still give a little bit of credit if you do well in the Bing Bang Tour as well, actually, for Flandrian. I mean, it's literally in that area. Um, so, Tour of Flanders, etc. Here's my list. Wild Van Aert first, even though he lost Tour of Flanders to Matti van der Poel. Him first, van der Poel second, and Mads Pedersen third. And I'll let, you, I'll let you go to your list next, Benji, so people can compare the two lists quickly. So our list is completely different in the sense that I've got Wout van Aert in first, Van der Poel in second, and Matt Spaderson in third. <laughs> oh, no way. We, By the way, we didn't compare notes or anything. I've got this on my own. I, we did this up separately. So it's actually kind of annoying we don't have more divergence. Um, maybe we should have Maybe we should have spoken beforehand so we could have had scripted, scripted disagreements. But, wow, that's crazy. And... What was your justification for people who are saying, well, Matthew van der Poel beat, he beat Juan van Aert in Tour of Flanders. It's a Flandrian award. Um, why, how could we have Juan van Aert ahead of Matthew van der Poel? So I would put a distinction on the fact that at the start we said that results are obviously important, but it's also the best rider competition, as in who do I think would win a full cobble classic season if we rode that this season. Because Paris Roubaix was cancelled. I think if Paris Roubaix was ridden, Wout van Aert would have won it on the abilities that they showed this year. Because for me, there's a distinction between Flandrian in the sense of the Tour of Flanders and Flandrian in the sense of Roubaix. Because you would say Roubaix is in France, it's not a Flandrian race. But I, I, I disagree. Being a Flandrian means that you can ride cobbles like the best. And that you have the abilities of performing well on the crazy Belgian races as well. I don't count our dense riders under Flandrien. I just don't from a definition standpoint. I feel like a Flandrien rider is a rider that does cobbles well. And does cobbles well means that you can perform in Roubaix and you can perform in the Tour of Flanders. You can perform in Omloop and Nieuwsblad, Kuhne Brüsselkuhne, Itri Harlbeke, Kjendwevelgem and those races. That is important for me. If you look at the start of the season, let's say we cut off the second part of the season, 
everything post-COVID, then there is a rider that I would not have put on this top three. That was really good. He won Omelope at Newsblood, and that was Jasper Stuyven. And he just wasn't there for me post-COVID, which caused me to not put him on that list. Mess Pedersen had shown himself to be good at Bing Bang Tour. He has shown himself to win Gent Wevelgem. We we predicted it. I was glad with that prediction of of Peterson at uh Gent Wevelgem. That was one yeah, of Yeah, my wallet was too. Yeah, that's true. And like if we look at Mess Peterson, I do believe that he's not on the cobble level of the first two, and perhaps not even on the cobble level of an Oliver Nassen, for example, who I would put as third best cobble rider this season, but that is not the question. And the Seneschal too. I think Seneschal in Peru Bay probably uh, like like Pedersen destroys Seneschal in a sprint, I reckon. But in on the cobbles, etc. Yeah, you're probably right. Like even Stefan Kung, he he got yeah yeah exactly. They really got lumped up. They got hurt. I think by the Paru Bay cancellation, where I think Flanders, I think Roubaix suits those riders more than maybe Flanders, where yeah, like the or especially Hemvelhem. Sprinting really, really matters, um, and maybe on loop a little bit, a little bit more. But I still think Pat Pedersen, I would have taken him over those riders. I think you know the quick step guys, just like Bennett, you have to mark down the quick step guys a little bit because, yeah, they're, they're obviously you've got to be good to be in quick step. But being on that team, that classics team, it has to help so much for how good it makes you. You know, how good it makes you look like Seneschal Lampard Kung. <laughs> Not Kung, sorry, Askren. Uh, they got to clerk bringing everything back. Whereas Pedersen, I don't want to knock Edward Turner. He's got a good like lead out for not the highest level races, but I'm not sure he has got the best support in the classics uh, too much. So yeah, I, I like I like Pedersen a lot. Van der Poel obviously won Bink Bank GC, won the Flandrian stage in Bink Bank, one Tour of Flanders. That being said, my I I only picked. Wavanard ahead of him for one reason. In Hen Wevelgem, who was marking who? Who was worried about who? And who was everyone looking at because they thought you're the biggest dog and you are the man who were most scared of winning this race? And it was Matthew van der Poel following and marking Wavanard the whole time. Not criticizing him for it, just saying that is exactly what happened. And yeah, I mean, then again, the next, the other week, he backed himself in the sprint against Wavanard. And he won. But yeah, that's why I think Wavanard is the the best Flandrian. Um, anything more to say about this, Benji? Do you think I think Van der Poel's Palmares in these race in those races this year are slightly better? What do do you ex why do you expect Wavanard to be better than or to have been better than Van der Poel in, in Paru Bay, even though Van der Poel was right there with him in Flanders? Because I believe that Van der Poel requires the punching ability as well to be on the same level as Wout van Aert. If you got a pure Paris-Roubaix race, firstly, doing that the first time, I think Vanderpool has not ridden Paris-Roubaix, if I recall correctly, doing that for the first time is something special and will likely result in not the best result for yourself. You need the experience of having ridden a Paris-Roubaix to know what that feels like and to know that with what that can give something. I think... Additionally, it gives experience on one things could happen in that race. And Wout van Aert has really, really put attention on the fact that he wants to win Paris-Roubaix. And 
Last year, he was extremely strong in Paris-Roubaix. Ended up crash- crashing two times, if I recall correctly. And eventually was unable to come back accordingly. But had a really strong performance. And I think that when it comes to the endurance throughout a rough stage like that, I put Wout van a tiny bit higher than Mathieu van der Poel. Because despite Mathieu van der Poel having good endurance as well, it's just a tiny bit less for me. And it's perhaps because of that World Championships last year where van der Poel was off to try and win it and then kind of collapsed at a certain point. And I feel like ever since then, I believe that he's more human than Wout van Aert in races that are more about the endurance aspect. Is that an argument or what do you think? Yeah, I think the climb, punchy climbs help him a little bit more, maybe. But moving on to the women's, again, there's not many races to go by. Unfortunately, Paris-Roubaix got cancelled. Next year, we'll have women's Paris-Roubaix. Uh, can we mention Chloe Dygert as the best Flandrian? She's not in my list, and I assume not in Benji's. Um, if she makes it, <laughs> if she makes it over from America to actually compete in the races, I mean, we're two weeks into her contract, and... Uh, a lot of shit's gone down, but I'm sure you've seen my video or my rants on Instagram about that. But I expect her to be the best Flandrian. Well, actually, that's a, maybe that's a good discussion, how she'll go, how someone with the best watts um, but the worst handling will go in Paris-Roubaix in 2021. Bookmark that for another pod in this offseason. On my list, sorry for that, Lisa Brenauer, first German, German national champion, Chantal Vandenbroek-Black, Second, Grace Brown. Third, maybe I've muddied Grace Brown's performance in the other cobbled races, which were a little bit punchier. Um, they were sort of, yeah, they weren't pure Flandrian races, but they had cobbles in them, and she destroyed those cobbles compared to the other riders, and that's where she gained a lot of the time on them, and she nearly, her chasing down Lizzie Diagon was so exciting, Grace Brown. Um, not always the best tactics from Winston Scott this year, but, yeah, she was really impressive. Brown, one to watch for next year. Chantal Vandenbroek Black obviously won Flanders, but that Bulls team is absolutely stacked. You know, they had her, Vanderbregen, and Amy Peters, all of them lining up to attack one by one. But Lisa Brenauer didn't get that big win, but just really consistent. And I think another rider who got really hurt by the lack of Paris-Roubaix as well. She's a TT rider. She kind of like reminds me a little bit of Cancellara, style rider, probably better at Roubaix. Than Flanders, I would say, like she's handy in the sprints, but not as good as Veebs, Kopecky, and Julian Dor. She's always coming just behind them. Second in three ducks, Brugge de Pan. Fourth in Flanders. Third in Hemvelchem. And she's got the TT ability. She also won, oh, sorry, sixth in the World Champ, uh, the European Champs Road Race, um, which has a similar, uh, I'm not, I can't remember if that Dusty Rose or not. But yeah, she's. Um, Good TT rider. I actually had her as my best Flandrian, and maybe I'm projecting a little bit what she would have done had there been Paris-Roubaix. What's your list? I've got Chantal van der Broek-Black in third spot. I believe that winning the Tour de France, Tour of Flanders, not Tour de France, <laughs> winning the Tour of it's Flanders. It's your Tour de France. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of is, so. <laughs> um, Chantal van der Broek-Black won the Tour of Flanders in a pretty impressive way, I, I think everybody would say. But despite that performance, I feel like the rest of the season, she was not on the level that these other two riders were in. I feel like to be best in a certain ability, you need to be consistent in it and not just win it once. 
And this season, she won it kind of once. Le Sommet, I don't really count it as an all-out Flandre race, despite it actually being a good Flandre race. She won it in a similar fashion as a Tour of Flanders. So perhaps Le Sommet is a race that is kind of underrated looking at the profile, honestly. But that aside, I've got Lisa Brenner in second. So we had similar names, I guess. As you say, extremely consistent. She was third in Hinduelheim, fourth in Tour of Flanders, second in the Didaxe Pone after the deviation uh, relegation of uh, Jolindore. Additionally, she was, well, I'm not sure if I can count this as a Flandrian race, but I often do in the male cycling race, Strade Bianche. And I feel like Strade somehow feels like a Flandrian race sometimes because you've got that dusty feeling that you have on the cobbles. And I feel the type of rider as a Flandrian also kind of matters on a Strade Bianche. Like well, Cancellara won it, Sagan won yep. it. Example. And um, I think my winner is. Uh, People are going to say I'm biased, but I believe that there's one rider that was more consistent than Brenauer on these types of terrains, and that is Lotte Kopecki, second in Hindwebel instead of third, compared to Brenauer. But like you say, likely because that extra ability of sprinting helped a lot. Then in Hindwebelheim, well, that was Hindwebelheim, being a third in Tour of Flanders instead of fourth. So it's quite simply that I've done the same thing that you did, I value the fact that on the cobbles, Brenauer seems to be the strongest of the two. But if we compare these two riders in what you need for a Flandria race, which is cobbling and perhaps a sprinting to beat the riders that you're with, then I feel like Kopecky takes the upper hand. And that is why her results are just consistently a tiny bit better throughout the season. That's fair enough. It's a good argument. I probably should have her in my top three. Top three somewhere. Now moving on to our my favourite category. I think the one I enjoyed compiling the most. Maybe we will have the most divergence. The best domestique. Now, first of all, do you have domestique as to include lead out men, Benji? I do. I still do have it as lead out men. Um, I think you have to because I've combined them in categories. So, you know, Guarnieri, Murku should also be in this list as well as like the climbing domestiques like Amador, Coos etc um but i have yeah i have um a pretty interesting first selection three stevenins for quick step he gets no love the 38 year old he won his first world tour level race with cadell evans road race this year and then has been just a faithful domestique for uh throughout the rest of the year and for julie now philippe mostly and i think he's really really underrated and for even as well like Avonapol in Lombardia, I think, and in earlier earlier races in the year, like Avonapol won every stage race he entered. That was mostly with the help of three Stevenins and Joao Almeida. So I got Davenins first. I got Koo second, and the reason I got him second and not first, I think if he, like the Perisud stage where he kind of went missing, I can't remember what happened there, and there's a few other stages. It's like when Koos is on, he's on as a domestique, but there was also sometimes some stages where he wasn't there, where he really needed to be. The last main climbing stages of Welter is a good example of that as well. I'm not blaming him, just some, you know, that this is an awards show for riders that are always going to be there when you need them. And um, that's why I have Therese Stevenens first. 
as well, you know, leading. He did a good job in the lead out as an early man in the lead out train for Quick Step in Race Torquay and other races as well. He's just so versatile, Dave, Dave Steven is. So, yeah, got a big crush on him, obviously. Then third, I got Guarnieri, the last man, lead out man for Damar. Um, I think he's the best lead out man in the world, actually, over Murku and the Italian. And yeah, he's just taken that FDJ train to another level and. They won, I can't remember how many races they won. It's two of the Wallonie as well are the ones that are really impressive. Like, no one expected DeMar to win, to do that well at Wallonie, and Guarnieri, I think, was a big part of that. So, yeah. Where's your list, Benji? Surely you're happy I put a Belgian first again. Yes, and I did so as well, but I did not put the same rider in first. Wild Van Aert, no way. I did not put Wild Van Aert in my top three. <laughs> So, um, firstly, my third spot. <laughs> my third spot is going to Rohan Dennis. And the reason is oh, that... No, no I, hate, there, I hate this. He was there at the most important moment. For I know, I know. And as a consequence, that makes his domestique moment of the year so important that he literally led the team to winning the Giro. I know, and, he literally won the Giro for Ineos. Yeah. And because of that, I put Dennis in third. What's your take on that? I, I know, and I get, I get it. I get the logic, but also, like he was, he was there. So yeah, he was the he was an incredible domestique for two to three stages of the year. So this is a season award, and it's two to three stages. And yes, he's done an incredible job. But I think they weren't even discussing Tao on GC and like until like the last week, according to them. And he was just there for TT. Um, and obviously what Dennis did was incredible performance, but it's literally two to three stages. And again, Giro, I'm still marking it down as like a top compared to the other Grand Tours. Sorry, I know people don't want to hear that, but it's we're going to look back on that that Giro and we're going to look see the rest of the Palmares of Hindley and Gagenhart and um, it'll make sense in the future. But still, like yeah, great by Dennis. I just think... These other guys I picked had a season-long success. But go on, what's the rest of your list? I get your point, and I still believe that the two-three stage ability that Dennis showed was important enough to make it into this list. So that's my logic on it. I completely agree that you shouldn't base it on one result, but if the result is so important, then I believe it cherishes into an ability of getting into this award. Now, the second spot, if it if I could, I'd give it to the entire team, but to make this award realistic, I'm going to give it to Sepkas. Same thing you said. He was consistently the best domestique next to Wout van Aard for Roglic. Why did I not put Wout van Aard on this spot? Because I kind of don't know. The thing is, if it was up to me, then I'd put the entire Jumbo team in second. And as first rider, I'm going to say a name that I would say every single year of the last three years, perhaps who is the best domestique in the world right now, and that's Tim de Klerk. And I believe that he's a bit of an unseen domestique because he's got a role in the team that does not make it that he has to be at the top, at the front of the race all the time. And you've got the Tour de France. In the Tour de France, Tim de Klerk was working every single day almost for the Koenig Whenever there's a sprinting stage, he was at the front pacing. Whenever they had to control the pace, he was at the front pacing. Whenever Bennett was behind, he was in the group with Bennett, trying to keep him on a gap that is 
not significant enough to lose him in that Tour de France. Whenever the Cleric is in a race, he is working for someone else, and he's doing that in such an amazing fashion that, honestly, Tim the Cleric is one of my favorite riders in the entire peloton because he has the ability of putting so much effort and cherishing so many moments from his teammates winning stuff because he was there in their shadows and he's not going to be the guy that goes ahead and says, I want the credit because I did all the work. No, no, no. Tim DeCarrick is the kind of person that says, oh, awesome job, man. I'm going to continue working tomorrow. And I don't know. I feel like the fact that there's such an unsung hero aspect to being a domestique as well makes him the fast for me. Here's another reason why I'd agree with you. Quick, quick step. Won the, they won the most races, I think. They crossed the line the most times of any team this year, if my memory serves me correctly, and he was an integral part of that. And also, I mean, the Sam Bennett green jersey's got to count for it as well. It's got to be a big factor. Like, he was integral in that, and they didn't even expect to win that. He also, he came second in um, in Three Ducks, didn't he? And he, he actually came, like, fifth in Omloop and ninth in the Samin. So... He's almost still kind of improved. He's got zero sprint, but like he's just <laughs> he's yeah, like zero just acceleration. And he's maybe his father Stein Vandenberg uh, or uncle just retired. He's <laughs> so <laughs> the old quick step, six foot eight domestique. Um, be interesting. Maybe there's that's a, a conversation I can hold for a pub in the back of Bruges. You know who is the better quick step domestique, Tim de Klerk and or Stein Vandenberg. If, if Tim de Klerk was at Omloop 2015, would Tom Bonin have won? I'm sure that keeps many uh, <laughs> in Western Flanders awake at night. Going on to the women's, <laughs> women's domestiques, uh, Ellen van Dijk first. She, she's like better than Tim de Klerk, but performs a similar function for Trek Segafredo, and they were very successful if you combine the results of Longa Borghini and... Uh, Lizzie Dignan, I mean, La Course, Sheepy Plue, and then Longaborg in his consistency. And I think, um, was it Liège as well? What did Dignan win? I can't remember. Was it, what was the race that Brown was chasing? I think it was Liège. Yeah, it was Liège. Well, yeah. So, yeah, Van Dyke, very, very consistent and just that engine always doing work for Trek. Even in the last races, she was, and she's the one as well. And I count this as doing a domestique's job when she, she's not pulling, but she attacks first when they have multiple riders in the group. So that's what Trek elect to do, but it's a sacrificial attack. And like it just forces maybe Bulls or Amy Peters to chase. And we saw that in later races in the season. Uh, so she's first, and Amy Peters is second, who I just mentioned. And, you know, she, again, Bull's very successful, maybe the most, probably the most successful women's team this year. She didn't really get the chance to win much herself this year, but so, you know, such a good job for Van der Breggen, for Julian Dor, for Chantal Van der Rohe, Black and Flanders. Again, she has to be in the top three. And then Leah Kirschman, the Canadian for Sunweb. Sunweb kind of want to give the team award for domestic duties. They really did a good job supporting Lippert, I think, this year and getting the most out of her. I put her in in third. Do you have anything different on your on your list, Benji? I've got the same list actually, but I want to add towards it that I feel like in women's cycling compared to male cycling, there is the thing where 
the team adapts more throughout the race and you've got riders who are just leaders in certain races that can cipher themselves away in other races. And I feel like that's more a factor in the women's races than it is in the men's races, looking at all the performances throughout the year. The fact that Bulls Dormans is such a stacked team, but despite being so stacked, the riders that could win races themselves also just ride them, themselves, their souls out for who is best in that situation, in that specific race, makes it such a, such a great thing. And like you say, Alan Van Dijk is really a rider that is perhaps the most notable domestique role, but she's also not a bad rider. She could win races if if the situation suits it. And yeah, would we ever see like Alaphilippe pulling for Dries Stevenens? Probably not. It wouldn't really make sense. Um, whereas like I feel like, uh, I don't know, sometimes you see male teams attacking, whereas some, like you'll see Bulls will just use them all as leaders and just all kind of attack and see whoever whoever goes clear and doesn't get brought back, well, they're going to win. We saw that with Chantal Vandenbroek Black in uh, in Flanders. But that's my list, Van Dijk, Peters and Kirschman. Under 23, I think this is, for this year, 2020, obviously Remco Evenepoel is the best rider, under 23 or not, going forward. But for this year, under 20, best under 23 rider, I have to give it to Tadej Pogacar. You win the Tour de France at that age and then back it up with consistent results at Valenciana, doing well at San Remo, etc. I mean, he was our third best rider overall, so by definition he has to be the best under 23 rider. Here she's my second because he had a, he just had such a good season, that season. I feel like Liège kind of got stolen from him, to be honest. That's my view on it, that finish. And that would have been an all-time season for a 22-year-old. And Evanapol, I still have third. I mean... He still won like the fifth most or fourth most races of anybody in 2020. And I know they weren't the biggest races, but Tour de Polonia in particular, as World Tour level, he straight up rode away from the other GC contenders, which included Carapaz, by the way, and won that stage and won GC pretty easily. So I think he won four stage races or three stage races. I can't remember. But yeah, he has to be on the list for me as, um, yeah, Pogacar here, she having a poll. Yeah, and um, I got to disappoint you here. I've got the, exactly the same list. <laughs> I have um, Evenepoel in third as well. He won every race he finished. San Juan, Algarve, Burgos, Bologna. And perhaps a hot take, but for me, it doesn't feel like a hot take. He would have won Lombardia if he didn't crash. Um, perhaps hard to say to the eventual winner of the race, but... I believe that he came to the top of the Sermano looking extremely comfortable. But then the question is, should he have held on to the wheels of the riders he was in? If he perhaps didn't have the descending ability to follow the likes of Vincenzo Nibali, who flew down the Sermano. And that's something that they need to look at internally. But all in all, if... Even if he made it to the bottom of that descent with 20 seconds behind the group that was the um, that was like Bennett and so forth, Lazov, um, full saying, then I believe he would have come back on the flat valley after it. And he would have likely beat them on the next climb and ridden away from them. I still believe it. I uh, completely believe in it. Well, who's the other contenders? There's not really Almeida didn't win a race. I know he did so well this year, but he didn't actually cross the line first in any race this year. So I, you can't put him ahead of Avon Apollo. It's really Philipson. 
is the only other one. And what well, he won, he won a stage at Tour de Limousin and Bing Bank and a stage at the Vuelta. That doesn't tip it over compared to Avenipol to me. So, yeah, I think I don't know how you can disagree with our list, really. Maybe you could say Avenipol did better than Hirschi, but no, I think Hirschi's the races he won are of a much higher level. Um, yeah, and like I've got a feeling that overall, despite these three riders, that I believe that we've got a lot of most promising riders coming up next season. We're going to do a podcast on that pretty soon. But I feel like those three riders were just ahead of everybody. And the others that are also promising are perhaps not on the level yet that they can be in this award and have the results to sustain being in this as well. Because you can always say uh, the best U23 riders, but results also matter for that, obviously. And for that, Evenepoel could have been in the top two of this, but he wasn't. If he would have won Lombardia and perhaps had a big role to play in the Giro, then he would have had a chance to competing with Hirschi and Pogacar. Hirschi coming second, he was, like we said before, yeah, just dominant in the breakaways in the Tour de France. And his Ardennes classics were off the charts for a a rider his age. Pogacar won the Tour de France at the age of 21. So I don't think we need to add too much more to that sentence because that's fucking crazy. Uh, what's your take on the female ones? Well, Lippert won. I mean, the women's riders, they have an actually, they have a youth award. There's a youth, UCI youth award. I wouldn't mind. Just, I mean, I don't actually think it's a good idea to introduce it to the men's because they're already all wearing the leaders' jersey of the races. Um, so they never actually get to wear the jersey. But there's a, there's a jersey for best young rider in the overall UCI competition. That was worn by Lippert pretty much the entire year um, since her win in Cadell Evans Road Race and how well she did in Tour Down Under. She came first in my list and in that award. Second, I, I, maybe I got this a little bit more on on potential and I think you know the other riders like are young but not in this age bracket like Ludwig, but Balsamo beating Veebs. That's got to count for a lot, um, in my view. And yeah, I got her in second. Hold on, I'm just checking. <laughs> Lorena Veebs is an under 23. She is. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, so Lorena Veebs is second. Um, she's still 21. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I was like, she's 24. She's 25. There's no way she's <laughs> she's she's second. And Balsamo is third. Um, Michaela Harvey just gets bumped out. She was my. She's now on a real mention. The the young Kiwi who was on a key pool car, which has since folded. But yeah, Lorena Veebs, what she won three ducks. So we already read out of Palmares. Like she's she's the best sprinter in the world. She's only twenty one. Lippert, more consistency. Um, she she really didn't seem to progress the way I thought she would be, and and um, be competing against the big dogs like in the later races she looked really really good at Cadell's and Santos but yeah I think at Giro Giro Rosa she was like fifth fourth sixth etc on all those punchy stages always behind Longa Borghini Voss Ludwig and Van der Regen and Van Bloyten etc but then second in Brabantje Pale was pretty nice but she does have a pretty strong all-round team at Sunweb but that's my list I think her consistency has to win it uh, for me. But, yeah, I think I'm finding it hard to pigeonhole Lippet and see yeah, what sort of rider she is. Is your list 
differ from that. Maybe you got Weebs first, Benji. She actually probably has better overall wins. I had Weebs first, but I also just feel like there's a lot of young talent in female cycling right now. And the likes of a Cavalli, a Ragusa, um, Jan Fischer Black, for example, just so much young talent. And I think it's looking really promising for the future. I've got Weebs in first. I looked at it in a similar fashion that you did. The first two riders were indeed the performances of this year. I have Wibbers in first, Lippert in second. And I had Balsam in third as well, just because of that beating Wibbers. But I feel like the third spot, despite me putting Balsamo there, could be challenged by so many riders at the moment. And that's promising. That's great. And I hope that all of these amazing female cyclists can bring themselves forward and make this sport even better than it already is. So I'm really intrigued by the riders. Like, doing research for this female list, the U23 list, I was thinking of a few names directly, but looking at all the Palmares throughout the season, I I went through so many different names, and I was like, ooh, she could be third as well. Ooh, she could be third as well. And it's really intriguing, and that's, that's awesome. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that part to it but indeed Lorena Weavers if you're that young and if you're the best in a, in a discipline then you're straight up being the best U23 cyclist in the world as a female cyclist right now so uh, I think that's roughly a similar take that we have on U23 but uh, I think the last discipline that we have right is best team best team it's got to be Takerni Quickstep they uh, they topped the team's comp I think once again on uh, PCS didn't they or Maybe I know the U- on the UCI list that Jumbo Visma topped it, but I refuse to give it to Jumbo Visma. Um, but just because you got the most talent doesn't mean you get to be the best overall team. Um, I think sort of DS decisions and race tactics factor into that as well. So yeah, on UCI list, I think Jumbo Visma were the top, but yeah, I think De Koenig, I mean, maybe if you're if you're talking like best. You know, getting the most out of their riders, probably Sunweb. Like, I know we bashed them for the Hindley stuff and, and Kelderman stuff in the Giro, but still, like, we didn't ex- we didn't expect, <laughs> like, Hindley to even be there. And then how they used Soren Kranerson, and, and here she was really impressive in other races. Kranerson, good in Pink Bank, and here she's so good in the Tour. But, yeah, I went with De Koenig just because the volume of wins they got this year. Um I can't remember how many wins they got, but yeah, just they won just stages constantly. They they always dominate the preseason. Avonapol, they just transitioned to becoming a GC team immediately for him in all those stage races. They probably they missed out on a monument here. Uh, it's probably what's missing off them. I don't think they won a monument. They obviously there's Alaphilippe Liège, but yeah, just I just think they just so consistent. And um, I got to give it to them. Okay, I um, I've got Jumbo in first. Um, not the I've best team though. Yeah, I believe they are. I believe they are the best team as a team. If they work together, then they can move mountains. And you're saying perhaps yeah, in they stage don't have races enough. Eaten. Yeah, and I've got like I've got a list of like teams that I had as opportunities of being in my top three of this because so let me take it on like this. I had looked at the Koenig. I looked at the Koenig and I said, 
They're great at races, but they lacked being good as a team in the most important races, despite the Tour de France having the green jersey. I think the fact that Evenepoel fell moved a lot in this decision for me because they would have likely had an important role to play in the Giro if that didn't happen, and they did so with Almeida. But I still, perhaps you're right on that. Like, I'm, I'm rethinking my teams, and I think about a lot of things, and you said Sunweb, a team that did not have an almighty armada at the start of the season, but they've grown into an absolute army of young talent. It's crazy. But that doesn't make them, per se, the best team for me, so they're not in my top three. Ineos, arguably one of the best team performances in years at the Giro of 2020, seven stage wins, but they were extremely lacking in the Tour de France and the Vuelta, so I've got a pro and a con for Ineos. I've got Jumbo being, at the Tour and the Vuelta, being an absolute beast, and they have riders to do well at the other races, but that doesn't make them the best team at those other races, so that's my lacking part as well. So I've got a pro and a con for Jumbo, and I've got a pro in the Koenig that, yeah, I've got, I don't really have a con in, in the Koenig. So, yeah, I I thought about this a lot. I put Jumbo in first, and you're actually twisting my my thoughts here, and I, I might dare to switch it around to the Koenig being first on my awards as well. The big one for me is the lack of performance from Turnison and Co. in, in supporting Wafanat. I, I just feel like Wafanat was doing it all on his own even in San Remo, and maybe I'm being a bit... I think Grondal Janssen, actually, sorry, did a good job for him, maybe, in or Vingegaard in San Remo, but I do feel like he just wasn't getting as much support in the latter half of the season in some of the state, in the one-day races, particularly in Han Favelham as well, um, comes to mind. So, yes, stage races, they got Coos, Hersink, Bennett and co., it is probably the best stage racing team overall with, with Rollish. Well, it definitely is. Yes, we don't like the way they use their riders sometimes, but that doesn't mean they're still not the best team. But, yeah, I just I had to give it to De Koenig and I feel like De Koenig, they got really hurt by the Jakobsen, who, by the way, was on the bike this week. Jakobsen would have won a lot of races this year. He would have been in my top three sprinters. I think he's better than Bennett or was better than Bennett for sure. Um, he's just a beast, but yeah, that kind of, I mean, that's a counterfactual. That's not what happened, but yeah, just De Koenig maybe had a bit of an unlucky year with two of their youngest promising riders getting injuries like that, and they still won all those races. So I still think they're the best team overall. Women's races, I had to give it to Bulls Dormans. I kind of like the, the De Koenig quick step of women's cycling, just so consistent, but I think this is clearer. Um, I mean, they did benefit from Van der Breggen's straight beast moding in races like Flesh, but it's not just her. Like, you saw the way they can use Peters, Chantal van den Broekbach and Julien Dore and, and Van der Breggen just interchange with fle- that flexibility that Benji mentioned, the adaptability. And I don't have the stats on how many races they won, but I'm pretty sure they won <laughs> won the most across the line the most this year I bet, I bet a fair bit on that without checking it exactly so yeah Bulls were my, my best Sunweb were okay uh, Trek Segafredo were clearly second um, not that I'm doing a top three but they just didn't have as many race wins or the big wins as as Bulls I totally agree to be honest uh, Bullmans is just a more complete 
team in the sense that they've got so much strength in so many different disciplines and they keep on performing. And if one rider is not at their best level, then someone else will take their place. It's it's kind of mad. And I feel like on that aspect, Bulls Dolmans is the strongest team. I feel like Trek also proved something to me that way they were really strong in some of the races. I, re- I recall a race, I don't remember which one, where there were two, two Trek riders in the front, I think Longoborghini and... Was it Dignan? I think it was Dignan that were in a group and I think Borghini was dropped for a bit and she was coming back to the group and the fact that Borghini, Logo Borghini, passed the group just before the sprint caused the others to be in a certain wheel and therefore the other rider from Trek, I think it was Dignan, had a much better lead out. And just that, that, that reminds me of just being a good team and being able to play into each other and blindlessly being able to trust your your teammate. I, I honestly don't remember which race it was and that really disappoints me. But yeah, that's one of the, the things that stays with me with Trek Segafredo as well this season. But I think you can't really top those Dolmans in, in female cycling at the moment. I think that was a course that you're talking about um, where they worked over Voss. That's the one that sticks in their mind, where they played off Dagnan and Longaborghini as some of the best tactics I can I can remember in the 2020 season. Um, they executed that so well. But this has been a long one. Reminding you, well, I'm not going to remind you of our list. <laughs> we might write them down somewhere. We might write them down. But yeah, best overall rider. I think we both have both had Roglic. Benji and I seems we agree on many more things than I initially anticipated, which is disappointing. I think. I don't know, Benji, do you think these lists are kind of, apart from the Domestique one, which is very subjective because there's literally no race wins for them directly, it's it's quite close. It's not really close this year, um, maybe the second and third spots, but I feel like, you know, Roglic and Pogacar as climber, Alaphilippe as puncher, that, that's really, I don't know how anyone could disagree with Roglic all around Pogaccio, Climo, Alaphilippe, Puncher. The sprinters' ones, I think, is the spiciest one. So let people know if I'm a big, just, you know, crushing on Caleb Ewan way too much and I need to get a grip. That might be the case. Um, but, yeah, what do you think of our awards wrap-up, Benji? Did I change your mind on anything? I think you changed my mind on a few things <laughs> along the way, but I had to stick with them. Um, and, yeah, maybe do we, do we send the riders anything? Do we send them, like, a gift? Or just some like a Twitter like or something. How about a, a virtual high five? That seems oh, like. Oh wow! Uh, How much is that worth from us? Oh, from us, billions <laughs> and billions. <laughs> 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 no jokes aside, I've got a good feeling about how we did this award show, and I feel like we we have a good basis on the fact that we looked at all these races quite ineptly to actually be able to give this to to riders as a yeah as a, a virtual a virtual prize somewhat. So. You know what's crazy, Benji? Yeah? You know what's crazy is how easy this is to do and remind yourself when you actually watch the races, which yep. the people that make the, the Velo Door Award, which sucks, do not, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> they do not watch all the races. Um, and a lot of people riding it that somehow earn a living from cycling do not watch all yeah, the I, races. <laughs> yeah, and I don't get how, like, we split this award up 
between male and female because it's literally impossible to compare both. And then you've got awards <laughs> like the Velodor that just awards it to male and female at the same fucking trophy. So obviously, but dude, because... they only they only give it to the male because yeah, Van Vleuten had the yeah. greatest season of any cyclist in 2019, and I don't think she didn't win it or couldn't come top three. Well, she she doesn't win it because as a sport, they value male cycling more. And for me, it should be relatively equal as much as possible. I know there's a financial aspect to it that is very difficult to fix. We talked about no, it but not for this. Before. I made a video about this. I made a video. You just have to spend 30 bucks on an extra trophy and <laughs> hand it to Van Vleuten. True, Ex- exactly. And say, Women's award for being the best female rider. They already do it. I said in the video, I did it last year, and they didn't learn. And I said, you know, look at football or whatever. Like this is not like there's hard stuff to fix for women's cycling. This is not the hard stuff. <laughs> the award, like the different ones, because the, women literally don't have the same races to compete against. Um, yep. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting too fired up. This was a really good pod. I enjoyed it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Make sure to leave us a comment wherever. You, can, you know where to find us, Instagram, Twitter, on the YouTube video of the pod or on the channel, etc. Uh, and let us know your thoughts. And, yeah, we bring out – we're trying to do at least weekly, sometimes two weekly, bring them out on a Monday afternoon or probably morning Europe time and to get you through your week. I'm not sure if anyone's commuting yet. Um, but yeah, I got to go back to sleep. Don't want to get back on that bad sleep schedule. Thanks for joining me, Benji, <laughs> on your Saturday afternoon, and uh, we'll see you later. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 